Coming up on Outcast UK. There was a, just a big freak out. It's all around the same period of time that we're talking about in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, just people, media whipped up frenzy, people having no idea what to do and wanting to to clap down on anything that could be deemed to be pornographic, which was um, anything that sort of mentioned any kind of love, I suppose, uh, in all its forms that wasn't between a man and a woman. It was outrageous. Section 28 was a pernicious piece of legislation that, yeah, like you said, came, came off the back of a book called Jenny Lives with Erica Martin. That was it, yeah. Which was in one uh, library in, in Haringey, I believe. Um, which I also understand was never checked out. And they came in and they were raiding this bookshop just asking what was, you know, what was pornographic, what wasn't. Play Outcast UK on TikTok and Instagram. Just search Play Outcast UK. Thank you very much for um, agreeing to do this today. It's very good of you. No worries. Um, It's got to be said, I've been listening to um, the logbooks for about the last year now I came across it in lockdown do you remember when you ended up with some involvement with Virgin Radio Pride yes yeah that's what made me go ah this sounds really ah, interesting so okay. I've, um, I've been uh, yeah it's been accompanying me on my dog walks recently um, I'll just welcome you to the podcast first so uh, I'm going to welcome uh, Natasha Walker uh, do, do I call you Natasha or Tash I'm not really sure yeah let's go let's go with Tash I'll go with we'll Tash. go with Tash okay um, so you're the chair of Switchboard, which is the helpline for anyone wanting to talk about uh, gender identity or sexuality, um, a charity that's run since the early 1970s. Um, I just wondered if you could tell us a bit about the word that Switchboard, uh, the work that Switchboard uh, does. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, like you said, Switchboard was set up in 1974. <clears throat> when it first started, uh, it came off the back of the partial decriminalisation of homosexuality in England and Wales, which was in 1967. Right. So people started to uh, want to find out more about the what was then probably referred to just as the gay community. They, were, they would call up um, Gay News and the Gay Liberation Front, um, who weren't necessarily best placed for that kind of information and support. Yeah. So out of that grew Switchboard, predominantly as an information service, where's good to go out, um, what gay groups are, are about. But it, it did off, often offer lots of support, especially in the 70s when you had lots of things like the police raids happening. Sure. And throughout its nearly 48 years now, um, Switchboard today is much more of a support giving service, like you say, for anyone who's got questions around gender identity, sexuality, emotional well-being and and sexual health. And we're here for anyone who identifies as LGBTQIA+, but also people who've got questions around anything to do with those things. Um, And we're we're here 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. every day. And it's just it's just effectively someone to be there to, to listen and help people ask those questions and and find the right answers for themselves. So your origins are really pre-internet, aren't they? I'm, I, I was thinking oh, you yeah. saying that. I was yeah. like, I would have gone, when did I come up the 90s? I would have gone, I would have gone on the internet and just yeah. looked up where to go, what to do, how to do things as well. But what I was reading was that some people were ringing up Switchboard and saying, how do I, how do I have sex? Is this true? Yeah, they still do that today. Because, really? you know, sex education isn't good, is it? Especially when it comes to LGBTQ plus sex education. Yeah. I certainly didn't have any. Uh, when I was at school in the nineties and noughties, um, and yeah, yeah, how do how do you have sex? Is a great question, um, yeah. and it's a really important one to ask, right? Especially 
um, with with bigger conversations that we're having around consent at the moment too. So yeah, yeah. if anyone wants to know how to have sex um, as an LGBTQ plus person, Switchboard's here for you. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I suppose it, it 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 depends who you are, where you're coming from, what's been going on. That on that question, I remember my mum told me a gay man had sex when I was ten, and I was like, really? That sounds outrageous. <laughs> and then obviously within a few years, I changed my mind. Um, so you wear the London lesbian and gay switchboard. Um, and I, I remember on, do you remember programs in the nineties on channel four? Do you remember the queer street season they did in the nineties? Yeah. Um, they put the London lesbian and gay switchboard phone number at the end. And I always remember it for, for that reason. So wh- why the change from the London lesbian? I, I think I know what the answer is going to be, but why the change from London lesbian and gay switchboard to just switchboard? Uh, yeah, um, so that actually happened when I was in the organisation in 2014. So we rebranded. Um, the, the way that Switchboard's run is it's a volunteer-led organisation. So things happen a lot slower um, because it's predominantly made up of volunteers. At the moment, we've got five members of staff and then around 200 volunteers. And lots of the volunteers do lots of that work in the organisation. But we we wanted to we wanted to reflect the people that Switchboard supports and the people that Switchboard is there for. We're not uh, a purely London service. We're a national service and always have been. So we wanted to change our name to recognise that and also um, to update it to the most up-to-date acronym at that point, which was LGBT plus helpline. So that was in 2014. Obviously, the the way that we speak moves and evolves quite quickly within our community. So um, I'm sure there'll be another update um, at some point in the future. <laughs> I'm sure there will be. I'm sure there will be. It has moved quite quick, hasn't it? In the last decade, we used to, like 10 years ago, we just used to refer to the gay community and that was yeah. the catch-all sort of term. And now we're expanding it. And I, and I welcome that, if I'm honest with you. Same. So um, what was typical of the calls that Switchboard, or as it was the London Lesbian and Gay Switchboard at the time, would have received in its earlier days, I know we just touched on this slightly with how do I have sex, where do I go out, but um, there were some real profound examples in the logbooks, I thought. Yeah, so I mean, to give a bit of an overview, that the, the logbooks, the podcast itself is based on the physical logbooks um, that are held in Switchboard's archive. And what they are is this incredible living, breathing diary of the organisation, these written notes that the volunteers made of the calls that they took. Uh, and it's it's a roller coaster ride. It's you're laughing one second and you're crying the yeah. next. Um, in the seventies, like I mentioned, there was a lot around police raids. So you find this a lot with legislation when any, any um, at any point when there's a change that appears to be a more inclusive change, it actually wakes a lot of people up to a certain community, and with that can come a lot of hate. And yeah. so there was so many um, police raids and homophobic attacks. Um, in the 70s there was also a lot to do with custody battles something I learned when I was making the podcast was that um, it was almost always the case that um, if a woman were to come out or to leave her husband who had children she would 99% of the time lose custody of her children just because she was a gay woman and the uh, the custody would go to the the father um, we spoke to a woman who went through that battle and she had to take it all the way through to the high courts, not only fighting for her child, custody to be a mother, um, but also coming out so publicly at a time when it was really common for you to lose your job if you were an out person. Then if you move into the 80s, you have many of the same themes continuing that you see in the 70s. But of course, we also had um, 
HIV hitting the community, um, yeah. HIV and AIDS epidemic in, in a way that no one could ever expect, right? Um, and Switchboard was there, Switchboard was there answering those calls and no one really knew what was happening. Um, there was so much fear in the air and the media certainly didn't help that. Mm -hmm. Fascinating to look at parallels um, in the 80s to what's happening now with our you know, transgender and gender non-conforming communities yeah. Yeah. and the responsibility that the media play in that role. But yeah, in the in the eighties, so many people reaching out in fear of their lives, in fear of their partners' lives, but also because the medical service didn't know anything either. So Switchboard started to collate um, these written records of what was happening to people who were contracting what was then known as AIDS. We'd use HIV, um, yeah. HIV now, um, and and, it, and and that actually turned into something called the National AIDS Manual, which is still in force today. But you had you had people reaching out just saying. I've been kicked out of home. Uh, my boyfriend's left me. People who are in, in probably the worst state they've ever been in. And you have the volunteers at Switchboard picking up those calls, supporting them. But also you've got to remember that everyone at Switchboard and still to this day self-identifies as part of the LGBTQ plus community. So they are also going through their own process yeah. around it. It's really interesting to bring up the 80s because that's the thing that really stuck out to me. <clears throat> I spent a lot of time listening to... Um, is it season two where you delve into the 80s, mainly 1982 to 1983 to 1992, that sort of period? Yeah. Um, that It's so interesting to hear for LGBT people in the 1980s, things were not good when you look back where the, you've got the Thatcher government in place, you've got Section 28, you've got AIDS appearing, HIV appearing from, from nowhere. Some of the stuff... I heard. I've been. I've. I've took my dog for a walk, and I've. I've been in floods of tears hearing some of it because it. It's really harrowing stuff. This is a sort of, um, a doomsday book, if you will. You know, of, of something horrible that happened to a community that I don't feel is particularly well documented, and that's where the Logbooks podcast has been so. I think transformative because for a lot of people, they didn't know these things had happened, did they? No, not at all. And I. I mean, when we the tagline of the podcast is untold stories. Uh, from Britain's LGBTQ plus communities. Um, but actually, I've sort of changed my mind on on that language, like these untold stories. That's so often how our and many other marginalised communities' histories are told. But actually, you know, it's not just Britain's LGBT plus history. This is Britain's history. It's social history. Yeah. And what it is, is censored because we have always existed. These stories have always existed. These people have always existed, but they've just not been shared and I, I completely agree with you as part of the um, funding that we got this year for the final season of the podcast, we've made, um, and it is today, LGBT History Month, right? So It is, yes, yeah, started yeah. till February, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Um, we've put together a school assembly and resource pack based on the stories in the logbooks. Um, which is made available to all schools to talk about during LGBT History Month, which has never been done before. So, you know, we're in 2022. I, you know, I grew up, we both grew up in mm -hmm. uh, the Section 28 Thatcher years um, where it just wasn't spoken about. Um, and that was why finding the logbooks initially for me was so powerful and going on this journey of making this podcast, speaking to so many people, the fact that you know, you've listened and these stories have have come into your ears now is that yeah. it's that it's opening up of my history our history it makes yeah. more sense i make more sense now i know what's happened before before me to the people who've paved the way for me to be able to walk down the street holding sure. my partner's hand you know 
So um, you, if you look at the the nineteen eighties, <clears throat> you're seeing at that point references uh, in the tabloid press to if we, if we stick like section twenty eight, was in a, the GLC um, had a book in a kids' library or and it was the most. It, it was the most vanilla reference possible, wasn't it? it? Some gay dads or a penguin or something, and the, the tabloids had an absolute field day at the concept that this would even be thought about. Yeah, and that's I feel, right. I feel like the, the, the logbook really gives the context of, uh, in, in that period, you know, the, the hysteria that surrounded it. Oh, yeah, it was... Um... It was outrageous. Section 28 was a pernicious piece of legislation that, yeah, like you said, came, came off the back of a book called Jenny Lives with Eric and Martin. That was it, yeah. Which was in one uh, library in, in Haringey, I believe, um, which I also understand was never checked out. <laughs> they never they never read the book? No one ever took the book out. Um, of course not. Oh, right, uh, okay, yeah. And it was a book, it's a story about a little girl who lives with her dad and his boyfriend um and that and that was enough that was enough it it was a, a local authority uh it was a local authority issue that be, that became section 28 and that's how they got it through and what section 28 was uh was effectively a piece of legislation that came in and said um that that any local authority so schools libraries could not promote pretended family relationships um, and by that, they were referring to specifically homosexual relationships. And, you know, and we touched on it before, this parallel movement from media frenzy hysteria off of the back of something horrific happening, HIV mm-hmm. and AIDS, yeah. with a Thatcher government leads to a piece of legislation which is just horrendous. And, and you know, we just have to look at the parallels with what's happening today around the Gender Recognition Act. And if you can't learn from the past, then what is going on for our future? Yeah. I was really interested. Uh, I, I was a, I've listened to it about two or three times now. The episode about the bookstore. I can't remember the name yeah. of it. Is Gaze, it King's Gaze Cross. the word. Gaze yeah. the word. That's it. Um, <clears throat> I thought it'd be interesting for our listeners, it being LGBT History Month, for you to just outline what happened there because that, for me, I was aghast at the sequence of events there, the the stupidity and the pig-headedness of the customs officers. Just going, is this pornographic? You know. Yeah, yeah. Could yeah, you yeah. tell us a bit about that story? Yeah, sure. So Gays the Word, which is um, still very much around today in King's Cross, is yep. uh, clues in the name. It's a gay bookshop. Um, and uh, there was a big customs raid that happened. Uh, the police named it Operation Tiger, <laughs> 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 which is just amazing. Mad. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Anyone interested in wanting to write that musical with us, please get in touch. Uh, and yeah, yeah. I, I heard the song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Spoiler alert. Listen to that episode. That episode. But, Adams, yeah, Adams, wonderful um, musical talents. But yeah, basically, um, there was a, just a big freak out. It's all around the same period of time that we're talking about in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, just people, media whipped up frenzy, people having no idea what to do and wanting to to clap down on anything that could be deemed to be pornographic, which was um, anything that sort of mentioned any kind of love, I suppose, uh, in all its forms that wasn't between a man and a woman. And they came in and they were raiding this bookshop just asking what was, you know, what was pornographic, what wasn't, and all of these things getting raised, um, getting getting raided and then seized at customs. Uh, and the bookshop, uh, the, the amazing people who ran the bookshop um, fought that battle all the way through uh, and actually won, which was amazing and, and a fantastic victory for the community. 
But it is just outrageous, you know, picking up these books which have absolutely nothing to do with anything pornographic, just being removed and and uh, locked away. Um, because it's just naked prejudice, isn't it? Really, there's there's oh, well, no yeah. other way of viewing it. It's just naked prejudice. I remember for anyone who hasn't listened, look for the episode. I can't remember the name of it now. It's in season two, <clears throat> and just some of the descriptions of these people just standing around going, "Is this allowed? Is this not around? Is, yeah. Like, what angle can a penis be at? All that sort of stuff." Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and also and also, we're, you know, this is a really big time for sexual health education. We've yeah. got HIV being contracted by so many people yeah. and uh, the posters that we had printed which had I think men it pictures of men having sex with men on them were not allowed through customs because they were again pornographic when we're actually trying to spread um, the positive word and reduce the number of people who are actually dying yeah literally stop people dying I mean it yeah. was yeah there was no tablets to be thrown on was there it was literally a, an actual death sentence at that point mm-hmm. um so um you said earlier you think there's parallels with today's environment. I've actually written that down about something I wanted to bring up with you. I really feel like there are huge mm. parallels between what was going on in, in Britain in the 1980s and Britain now. And I think, you know, it's certainly for LGBT rights. Now, of course, it's trans people who are on the receiving end of the negativity. And you could argue there's parallels in terms of a similar kind of um, vein of government, a reactionary right-wing government. What, what what would your thoughts on that be if you fancy expanding on that? I I'm not uh, expecting you to get drawn into a, politi- a big political debate, but it'd just be interesting to hear what you think about that. Yeah, um, I believe in human rights and yeah. I think that um, we all need to understand what kindness really means. Um, it's something I've really struggled with over the last couple of years. Uh, what it, The lack of kindness that's being shown across communities especially one victimized community to another um and it, it's built out of fear and what are people actually afraid of um these conversations that people get drawn into around uh really transphobic tropes that are not actually anything to do with anyone who is transgender or gender non-conforming um the conversations around the toilets issue same-sex spaces what they're talking about there are um, men going into those spaces, not trans women. And this is where mm-hmm. the rhetoric is going wrong. And um, I, I don't think it's a debate, personally. I think it's a human rights issue. Okay. And um, I think if you look at the statistics, uh, they are black and white. And that is that the transgender and gender non-conforming communities are the highest at risk for um, having suicidal ideation, for having the highest rates of depression, loneliness, isolation and anxiety. And that is a community that needs to be protected. And we and take... violence attack, I'd say, as well. Oh, my gosh, you know? yeah. The, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Transphobia yeah. is is that's a record sky high. Um, and it, it's just, I just find it, it I just find it heartbreaking. Um, yeah. And Switchboard takes so many calls from people who identify as transgender and gender non-conforming. And, you know, over the, lo- the lockdown, it's uh, alone, I think at its height, it, we we had like 43% of contacts from transgender and gender non-conforming people. And it was a direct correlation to the media vitriol, right, hatred yeah. and what was happening on Twitter. These are real people yeah. uh, and, it, and it, it's affecting real lives. That, that tweet might just be one bu- a button press for someone, but it's that, that could actually make the difference um, in another person's life. And I just, yeah, it's... 
we have to keep fighting, we have to keep looking back, we need to push forward, we need to understand that as a society we'll always continue to evolve and grow and we need to learn and listen to each other uh, in order to do that. And uh, any any marginalised, underrepresented or victimised communities have to work together and I find it um, incredibly upsetting when they don't. So that point you made there about um, the amount of calls you got through lockdown correlated with media coverage and social media coverage of trans people and and that was something that came through we spoke to Stephanie Hurst on uh, one of the last episodes and she was saying that she would be she would look at newspaper stories as someone who worked in broadcasting and had them in front of her and then on the way home the immediate feeling from that drip feeding of negative media stories was I want to drive my car into the central reservation on the motorway. I feel like I want to end my life. And I just wish more people understood that the media can really set the tone on these debates. It really performs a bigger role than I think anyone really appreciates, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, and not, you know, not to get too caught up in the ins and outs of what's happening in our media at the moment, but yeah. framing certain things as debates and this you know this can speak to gender identity conversations but also wider conversations that are happening at the moment um in itself that is a very unneutral position to be in and and fundamentally i think we need to think about human rights and um and yeah i i the media has a huge role to play and i don't think it is answerable enough to that role um and we live in a time where Social media has huge power and can do really positive change. Big positive change can yeah. come from it. But with that comes a lot of responsibility. And who's 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 checking that? Who's looking out for that? Who's looking after these people? Because um, it's not just, like you said as, as well, it's not just uh, media churning of opinions and retweets and, and things like this. There's bullying happening online. There's transphobia. Yeah. There's homophobia. There's hate crime happening online. Um, it it's it's it almost feels like it's spinning out of control, yeah, and the safest exactly. thing to do is to not engage. And so, where does that leave you in society? Invisible, yeah, exactly. I guess really doesn't it? And I suppose as soon as yeah. you are visible, you are like you said in the nineteen seventies. As soon as people like gay people is a thing, oh, then we can hate them more because yeah, we can yeah, see, yeah, yeah, we yeah. see that they're there. <clears throat> So it's really interesting to hear uh, your take on Switchboard in the 70s and the 80s. The 80s in particular, I just think I just think back to what people endured in the 80s and the LGBT community and it breaks my heart. Um, into the 90s, I'm really... So I know this is... Uh, I haven't heard... Which is your latest uh, season? Is it going to be season three? Yeah, that's out. Yeah, that's out now. So that's 90s through to 2003. That was it. Uh, could you tell me about how the conversation changed as you moved beyond like 1992? I'm imagining HIV is becoming less of an issue when antiretroviral therapy became a bit more widespread. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I also think it's worth remembering that the heights of death around AIDS were 93, 94. So it's still super prominent within. Right. Yeah. But you have got other support networks popping up, other organisations um, coming about to specifically focus and help with people who are diagnosed or um, have needs, have questions or, or need support around HIV or people in their lives who have HIV. Um, but yeah, the themes that come out of the 90s and noughties um they're really interesting ones and um certainly much more relatable to me because i was a bit older in those years uh the internet being a big one you mentioned it at the start you know the internet wasn't around in the 70s but it did come into play in the 90s and how that changed the interaction of lgbtq plus people with each other 
and resources. Another big thing was television representation. So Queer as Folk, yeah. um, uh, you know, different... Hayley on Corrie, the first trans character. Of course, yeah. Sean yeah. on Corrie as well, if we're... Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, it, you know, it's just what that does to people. Ellen came out in the 90s as well, of which course, is, yeah. of course, another really big, much more, I suppose, you know, uh, in, the, in America as well, Ellen DeGeneres. So there's representation, the impact of representation, um, which, is a, which is a really interesting one when we're talking to people about it, them saying how wonderful it was for them to see themselves reflected, but then also it made them realise how not reflected they are um, in the media. You know, it, it's that thing when, when you start to see the visibility, you realise how invisible you have been. Another really interesting thing, which kind of aligns with what we're talking about is, uh, and, and we touched on it earlier, this evolution of language, right? Um, and that happens so much and it's so wonderful and I love it within the LGBTQ plus communities. And you see that a lot more around transgender people reaching out to Switchboard um, because, you know, they've always reached out to Switchboard from the whole time Switchboard's been around, but the language was starting to change. So they were starting to find words that aligned more with how they felt and were calling up specifically to talk about that, um, which was which was a really interesting change in the logbooks. You start to really see that shift towards people calling up to talk about their gender identity because finally that language was starting to emerge for them to, to do so. Um, but th yeah, there's like a whole, there's just the nineties are so fascinating. There's so much great stuff in there. Another thing that comes out more in the logbooks too, which I think we really need to talk more about today mm -hmm. is disability and being LGBTQ plus, you know, how will we live in such an ableist society? Well, and, and it's like twofold, isn't it? We live in a society that wasn't built for us as um, queer people or, you know, not cisgendered people. And then you add in disability to that. So you, you've got this overlapping, um, I guess, overlapping identity, intersectionality, as we always talk about, and this is very prevalent with race and uh, wider gender identity and sexism, um, that if you are disabled and LGBTQ+, then maybe you don't feel comfortable in either of those communities uh, for whatever reason and so it's about an, an opening up and uh, around accessibility and how we can become more inclusive which should always be a conversation by the way yeah. so many people feel so afraid about conversations around inclusion because they feel like they have to get it right well you never will get it right because it should try. always be a, con a constant conversation a constant yeah. evolution and let's face it we, we can only you know everyone identifies in, in their own individual way as many people there are on the planet, that is how many identities there are. So there will never really be one true safe place. We should just try and make places safer. And that will always be a conversation because one place might be a safe place for me, but not for other people. Yeah. And so that is what we, we really need to do work on, I think, is just having this open conversation, being less afraid, thinking about hey, what, what if I listen back to this interview, right, in five years' time, what am I going to cringe about what I've said here today because yeah. we've moved on in our thinking in that five years? And that's actually really exciting to think how we can continue to push the boundaries. I feel like it, you shouldn't be afraid to try and do the right thing. I, what, if someone says something wrong to me, I judge them by where they were coming from when they were saying the thing because it, things do move on and a lot of people are uncomfortable with... I guess the change, I guess, sounded a bit silly by using the wrong words. I'd, I'd, I'd put some people into the, you know, this LGB alliance thing where it's like you can be lesbian, you can be gay, you can be bisexual. Tick, that's fine. That puts you on a, 
higher plane that there's within the gay community we have groups of people who sometimes almost want to create another pecking order within the LGBT community with white cisgender gay men at the top and say disabled people at the bottom and they don't realise what they're doing by doubling down on oh it's all too complicated it was all easier when it was just lesbian and gay people I feel like don't be afraid to engage so long as you're doing it with a with a pureness of heart is how I would I would describe it personally. Yeah, I think that, you know, the LGBTQ plus communities are just made up of people. So yeah. everything that you see in wider society, homophobia, biphobia, transphobia, sexism, racism, ableism, uh, they're all, all reflective there. in there. Yeah. yeah, of course they are, because we're just people within a sub community. Labels are really positive and they help lots of people. And they and I, you know, I do believe that that's, they can real, really do some positive good but also i think we need to understand that as much as evolution and language evolve so do we as humans and sexuality i believe and gender identity are fluid maybe you just stay at one end of the spectrum for your whole life but other people might move around and i don't have a problem with that um so i think it's it's just about i think it's just about trying to understand people and each other with kindness like genuinely with kindness and ha- and you know what you said earlier the intentions around the conversation that's so important um and you know i'm always open to have conversations with people i would i would hold my hand up and say that i don't think necessarily it's all the responsibility of of everyone who is in an underrepresented group to have those conversations um but you know there are people in the world who are happy to um yeah. and and yeah, and if you've got any questions around sexuality and gender identity, then that is exactly what Switchboard's there for. You don't have yeah. to be part of the communities to contact us. Um, we're here to to listen and answer people's questions, um, no matter what your views are. So I, I don't know if I asked this earlier on. Um, so we've heard about some of the calls that you would have got from the logbooks historically, but uh, what sort of, and other than the um, trans callers that were... Uh, ringing off the back of media reports, but what generally is the kind of um, interaction you're getting these days? How does how does it work? Because you've got the internet, do you, do you move on to there and do it? Or yeah, so we take calls, instant messages, and emails, but you know, consistently throughout the whole yeah, since 1974, the most popular, if that is the right word, type of call that we get, the most common call is coming out calls, right. and that has never changed. Um, And that's, you know, whether you're coming out about your gender identity or sexuality, it's people who don't feel comfortable in this world um, or they're trying to work out why they don't fit in because we are brought up still and live in a world that isn't built for us. Um, And, you know, for me personally, that's enabled me to think about things in a really different way. And I'm very grateful for that. And I'm so happy to be queer and I would never change that at all but it's for many people it's a really difficult and complex journey and um, we can all relate to uh, having to work out what's going on inside you that doesn't feel represented in wider society so whether that's the 70s 80s 90s or noughties you know I found a call a logbook entry in I think 75 one in 88 and one in 2003 all from someone ringing up questioning their gender identity or sexuality, mm-hmm. and all talking about feeling shame, isolation, and loneliness, and those are still the calls that we're getting today. Uh, but it's great that we are getting them because people are reaching out to us, and we're able to help support them. Uh, there have been other trends around 
calls that we get which you know are aligned to what's happening in wider society like with people experience increases um, of hate crime transphobia homophobia biphobia lesphobia um, but coming out calls are the most popular ones once something that's actually really increased um, that wasn't seen so much in the logbooks the actual written records is calls around faith and sexuality that's um, something that's that people increased. reach out to us yeah well well it's I think it's a conversation that just wasn't being had before right. and yeah. now it and now it and now it is a lot more um, and also um, people reaching out who who are in really complex situations outside of the UK you know we're a UK national service but we would never not speak to someone uh, and we certainly are seeing people who reach out uh, who are in frankly from horrific situa- situations from places like Afghanistan right that must from be Syria yeah, it's really complicated, yeah. and there are services set up to support those people specifically. But um, it's it. Yeah, there there are so many. If you can imagine the question, then we've got mm-hmm. it. And of course, you've got your safer sex, sexual health calls. Um, yeah, you know, even even still to this day, I remember taking a call from uh, a young guy who had been diagnosed HIV positive and thought it was a death sentence. Right, and and. Um, yeah, just to get many of them calls because uh, sorry to interrupt. They just no, get many no. of them calls. That fascinates me because um, <clears throat> for a lot of people, many of my friends are HIV positive. Some of my closest friends are HIV positive. Some of them didn't tell me for a bit because when they were diagnosed in the early noughties, they still felt this sort of 1980s sense of shame. And just as you said that, I was thinking you would be the perfect organisation to have the initial, aside from like Terence Higgins Trust or George House Trust, that initial conversation with. I haven't told anyone. I feel shame. I've found out this afternoon. What the fuck do I do? You know, yeah, is that still yeah. available there? Yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, absolutely. You know, education. Uh, if you're uh, if you're an engaged uh, out, usually queer person, um, then you understand what HIV is. But it's you know the education is the issue, and it's still not anywhere near as good as it needs to be and so yeah people get diagnosed with HIV and and they think that like we're saying here now they think that it's a death sentence there is so much shame and stigma around it and I think it's I think it's really important that people reach out for help and support if they feel that in any way at all Um, and that is exactly what Switchboard's there for the number of people who aren't aware of um, treatments such as PrEP or PET is also something that uh, well, I don't know if shocking is the right word. I think it's something that many, many amazing organisations like THT that we've you've mentioned and Prepster are doing to try and combat uh, the lack of education around it. And, you know, a lot of money has been put into those treatments, which is fantastic and making them readily available. Um, but, yeah, there's so many people out there. And I think sometimes it's easy for us to think about, to forget when you live in... Um, in the biggest in the bigger cities or in communities that are really open or you're super engaged in the community i mean i i'm part of switchboard so i'm aware of all of these things but that doesn't mean that that everyone who might be gay or or trans also is aware of these things and i think that we've got a lot to do around education um but you know that's so often the answer to everything but in the meantime if people have any questions then it's about reaching out to those support services like switchboard and and I'm really glad that we're here to be able to still take those calls and to calm people down and that the answers now when someone tells us about being diagnosed with HIV are so drastically different. Yeah. You can be, you know, you can be diagnosed with HIV and undetectable in less than a year, which is just fantastic. So, 
um, that's a really wonderful message and call to have uh, to someone who who gets diagnosed with HIV now in comparison to what it was like in the 80s. To take you back to the the, the 80s, um, some of your something that came through to me was the the effect that volunteering was having on some of your volunteers at the time. It, they quit, weren't they, sometimes in the end because the strain in that period must have been incredible. Um, what's the rank and file like of your volunteers these days and what's sort of the effects of of doing what is a, an emotionally taxing role? Yeah, good question. Um, so, we, you know, a, a big focus on what we do at Switchboard um, is about supporting people, but it's also about supporting the volunteers. And we have a network internally that you can reach out to um, after a shift if you feel like you need some support, um, as well as personal trainers, a really lengthy training process to get in. But not everyone, um, not everyone feels that being a listening volunteer is right for them at Switchboard. Um, and, you know, that's no negative thing. We also have the ability to be support volunteers at Switchboard. So that's doing other sort of more administrative roles within the organisation, maybe helping us run our social media yeah. or doing bucket rattles or fundraising. Uh, it can certainly be a really difficult um, volunteering role. Uh, I know I've taken calls that I found very complex and mm-hmm. I've needed some space and some time afterwards. Um, but do you take never... them home with you when you do them calls? Sorry, do you, so, do you take that home? Um, so me, yeah, personally, I think it's about the way that we operate now has changed a lot over um, the last couple of years because of lockdown. So we used to only have the phone room and now people can take calls from home right. through remote working and that's not for everyone. So what we set up in place is for people to be able to reach out and have a conversation after their shifts, whether that's with the allocated other volunteer who's who is uh, what we call a sister who's on call at the, at the moment. I do Wednesdays. Or if you are having an online conversation with other people who are in the virtual phone room so that you're constantly having conversations and talking about it. But sometimes it is really hard to, to get a call out of your head. But the most important thing that you can do is talk about it um, and only and only take a shift when you feel ready to. You know, that the, the mental well-being and the emotional support that our volunteers have and receive is paramount because if we can't support ourselves internally how can we support the people reaching out to us so could people if they're interested in volunteering this is something i was going to come to um people can volunteer now and um, well people can work in call centers from home can't they and sounds like you're sort of doing that if somebody was interested in volunteering firstly if you are looking for volunteers i was just gonna say do a quick call out because i was i was hoping to get this from you uh yeah yeah um so we open up our volunteering um I don't know, recruitment in tranches. So if you go to switchboard.lgbt, you can register um, when we reopen for the next um, the next recruitment of listening volunteers, then you can, uh, you'll get an email and um, you'll be able to apply at that point. But we do also recruit support admin volunteers. Um, if you don't feel like answering the calls is is for you, that's okay. It's not it's not for everyone um, that we, we're certainly here for people to, to join the organisation and help us to, the myriad of jobs that goes around answering a call. Um, so yeah, uh, absolutely check it all out at switchboard.lgbt. Okay, well, um, Tash, thank you so much for making the time to have a chat to us today. Uh, a good conversation to have as well in LGBT History Month and 
Um, hopefully some people have heard some things that they might not have thought about before and also check out the Logbooks podcast it is uh, it's a work of art and it's award winning as well <laughs> it congratulations <is. laughs> on that thank you yeah thank you and thanks for inviting me uh, on to have a chat with you today Graham my pleasure thanks very much play Outcast UK on TikTok and Instagram just search play Outcast UK play